Welcome to Heartland Church. It is our prayer that as you listen to the following message, you would experience the heart of God for your life. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Now, let's join this week's service already in progress. I'm going to ask you to turn this morning to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to continue on in our message. Uh, I'm tempted to make a few comments about the presidential announcement this week of moving the capital of Jerusalem, or the, our, our, our embassy to Jerusalem, and our recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. But I know if I do say any more, we're going to get stuck in that. We're going to go down that path. And, uh, but I just want you to know that's significant. It is significant. You know, there are not every place, here I go, not every place, not every location is equal. There is such a thing as spiritual geography and physical geography. We understand physical geography. You know, we understand that there are places and there's, there's the lay of the land and different components and environmental conditions in different places. But the same is true spiritually. There is a spiritual topography, there is spiritual geography, and not every place is equally significant in the economy of God. And if there's one place on planet Earth that is very significant, it is that city. It goes, it's, it's, it's connected to God's purposes back to the, the first few chapters of biblical history. It was the, the place where that strange, mysterious king, Melchizedek, of which Jesus is a priest. Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek, and the fact is you are too. And that was the location from which this priest king, Melchizedek, ruled. It was Salem. He was the king of Salem, which eventually became Jerusalem. It was the city of peace. He was the king of peace, Melchizedek, a type of Christ. And he, he was a precursor. He was a symbol of Jesus to come. It was the, the place where Abram lifted his hand to sacrifice his son was what is believed to be the Temple Mount. And later on, David would purchase that because he said, I will, I will offer the Lord nothing that doesn't cost me something. And so he purchased it and it became part of the Temple Mount. And it's the place where Jesus will once again set his feet. It's the place, it's the city that God identifies himself with. So much so that when God drops his city out of heaven, he calls it the new Jerusalem. It's not the new Ankeny. It's not the new Des Moines. It's not the new Washington, D.C. It's the new Jerusalem. Because it is so highly significant. There are places in the earth that are entry points for heaven. Now that may sound strange to some of you. I'm just telling you, I can make a strong biblical case for it, just not this morning. And Jerusalem is one of those places. It's a place that God chose. It was so highly significant that when David became the king, the first thing on his royal agenda was, I am going to take that city and make it mine. And I believe it's because David understood the significance of the Melchizedek priesthood. It was David who carried this, this revelation that the Melchizedek priesthood was not just a person, it was an order in which he could enter into and so David took that city and made it what became known as the city of David or the city of the great king. 
And God gave that land to Israel. And God says, those who bless them, I will bless. And those who curse them, I will curse. And our recognition of that. And if you can look down through not just world history, but revival history. And you can see when there are significant events on, hit, on Israel's calendar, there's also significant events in the church because we are intimately intertwined, the church and Israel. They are two separate entities, but intimately intertwined. Paul said that Israel stumbled so that we could be blessed. And he said if, if they're stumbling, it's as if they had the jewels, the gems of covenant. And when they stumbled, the gems fell on the ground as we as Gentiles scooped in and grabbed the jewels and we were blessed. And Paul goes on to say, if their stumbling caused you to be blessed, how much more they're being grafted back in. How much, that's why we're to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's why we're to pray that what Paul said, the prophetic word that Paul gave in Romans chapter 9 and chapter 11, he said, all Israel will be saved. He said, I would give my eternal soul to see Israel come into the kingdom. It's an amazing statement. Paul was willing to suffer hell to see Israel come in. And he said, all Israel will be saved. God still has a plan for that physical bloodline of the Jewish people. And he's going to fold it back in. And Paul said, if their stumbling caused the church to be blessed, how much more when they're grafted back in? I'm going to tell you, when revival hits the nation of Israel and they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, when they accept Jesus as their Messiah, it's going to trigger two things. It's going to be, it's one of the two markers for the second coming of Jesus. Jesus said there's two things this whole, hinge, this whole thing of my return hinges on. Number one, it's this gospel of the kingdom being preached to every people group in the world. That's why we have to take, that's why we burn with the mission's call. We want to bring the king back from the sky. And the second one is when the religious leaders, when the Jewish people at large say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Paul said, when that happens, it's going to trigger a blessing on the church. I would propose to you what Paul is saying is you want to talk about revival? You wait till Israel is grafted back in. And so when our president lined himself and said, we recognize Jerusalem as the capital, that's a significant thing. And I am predicting that there's going to be some things break loose in the spirit in the coming months because of that very decree. And so, yeah. So look at it. I got through it in five minutes. Hallelujah. So it's, 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 it's a significant thing. And I think that we, we're, we're in danger of just overlooking those things sometimes because we don't realize the significance of, of uh, both those prophecies and of the history of this city of Jerusalem. It's a fascinating city. So anyway, let's, let's get into the word. Uh, not that we haven't been, but Matthew chapter 1. Let's look at verse 18. We are on the Christmas story, and uh, we're going to continue in that vein. And uh, we read in verse 18 through 24, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, 
Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And then he quotes, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When, Mary, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded, with, commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Verse 25, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I'm asking God that you would speak to us this morning, and Lord, that your word would encourage us, correct us, instruct us, and strengthen us. Use it, Lord, to build your church. In Jesus' name, amen. I love the Bible. I am, I am just amazed at the Bible as I've been just looking at the Christmas story again. And I, I study, you know, I'll, I'll bump into the Christmas story throughout the year, but every year at this time I just spend time soaking in the, the Christmas story. And there are several different passages really two primary passages, Matthew and Luke, that give us a perspective on the happenings. And uh, it just amazes me when you begin to look at the Bible. The Bible is a book, a compilation of about 70 different writers over about 1,200 years. It's a mixture of stories and personal letters, poetry and prophecies. But underneath it all is this continuity, this theme that ties it all together. And when you understand that there's a divine author that directed all the human authors, all of a sudden you can study the word and not just read it. All of a sudden you realize there, this, this, this book, every word means something. Every little term is significant. There's no random words. There's no haphazard words. There's, you know, every term is for a purpose. And when you understand that, when you believe that, all of a sudden you can begin to examine the Bible and why did he use that word and why did he even use this word and, and, and when he said this, it's tying in with what this other guy or this other woman said way over here. If you don't believe in the authority of God's word, then you miss all of that. But when you understand that there's a divine author, then you begin to realize that there's a reason he said this here and he didn't say that there. And we begin to tie it all together. And I was struck by that again this week when I saw verse 23. Listen to what it says. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The whole goal of this thing the whole goal of Christmas is that God can be among men, God with us, that he can, he can dwell among us and in us, that he can be with us again. And so that's the whole goal of this. But what struck me was this little phrase in the prophecy about Jesus, the virgin will conceive and give birth. And it struck me that Matthew is talking about the birth, but Luke is talking about the conception. Last week we looked at the story of Mary and her conceiving by the Holy Spirit and her relationship with Elizabeth, her cousin. And we saw how Elizabeth was this barren woman who was, 
you know, she was overdue in life. She had passed the, 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 the childbearing years and she was still believing and God broke in. So she went past the due date so that the next generation, Mary, could come in before the due date. And so Elizabeth was conceiving after that time of life when she should have, and Mary was conceiving before she ever thought she would. She's not even married yet. And her, her, the, the natural question out of her heart when the angel said, you're going to conceive a child, is how can this be? I'm a virgin. And the Lord said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The, 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 the shadow of the Most High, it'll overshadow you. And you, what will be in you will be conceived of the Holy Spirit. And so in Luke, he's talking about the conception. And the reason he's talking about the conception is because in Luke, Luke is looking at it from Mary's perspective. This is something, this is her personal experience, her personal encounter. She has this visitation from an angel, and an angel gives her this word, and, find, and all of a sudden she finds herself carrying the Son of God. She's pregnant before she's ever known a man. I mean, can you imagine? No, we can't. There's no way. I mean, that, I was reading Jack Taylor's uh, last book on the kingdom, and the last chapter is about this very this very story, all these players in this scenario. And Jack has a uh, paragraph in there and he said, he said, if you can tell somebody this story with a straight face, he said, it just, it's an insane story, it's crazy. Can you imagine being the young girl that was going through this? She found herself pregnant by the Holy Spirit and she's never known a man. But then we go to Matthew and Matthew is giving us a different perspective He's giving us the perspective of Joseph, that man who has to step up. And we talked last week, it's just fascinating to me. Look at what it says here. It says, this is how the birth, verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. It's not the conception. We already know how that happened. We found that out in Luke. See, you can conceive alone. What you conceive with God is in the secret place, just you and him. But if you're going to give birth to something in the kingdom, you're going to need a partnership. See, your destiny is not a personal destiny. Your destiny is tied to a corporate destiny. And you can get something in secret with the Lord. You can conceive in in the spirit. You You can have an impartation. God does something within you. That's fine. That's the conception. Conception is between you and Jesus. But to give birth, you're going to need a partnership. There's going to be some other people in your life. And the tragedy is there's a lot of conceiving, but a lot of aborted purposes in the kingdom. Because people don't partner with other people. They don't find that person that's going to bring them into a house and on a journey that's going to bring them into what they're called to do. And so it says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together. The context of this is about Joseph. He says, this is how the birth came about, and then he starts talking about Joseph. Why? Because Joseph was crucial to the birth of Jesus. Why? Because if he would not have put himself around her, she was in danger of being killed by the religious crowd. Whenever God's doing something, I said this last week, and I think we need to really press on this for a moment. God 
is intentionally controversial. Do you know that? We like, we like things sanitized. We kind of like things cleaned up. I, I saw recently a post online, and it was of a pastor I knew. Uh, he, he's got a huge church in another state. Very refined, dignified man. And he got hit by the power of God, and he did something very undignified. He got touched. He ran up on his platform, jumped up on the pulpit, did this, and then dove into the baptistry. He's in his suit and tie. I mean, and you got to know this guy. This guy is, on their staff, they have someone that's in charge of decorating. That's, that's his whole job. He's, he's in charge of decorating. I mean, this is a refined place. It's classy. And this guy does that. And I, I remember a, a, another friend of mine, someone I respect and, and understand why he said it. He, he posted on there, oh, you know, just, ugh, and I, I can understand. But I know the backstory, And I also understand the other guy writing, ugh, to that because you're thinking, oh, that's the last thing we need, churches that are doing that stuff. I'm going to tell you, that's the first thing we need is churches that allow that to happen. But there's something within us that wants a sanitized, cleaned up version. We want this thing to be clean. And so we tone it down. You ever brought a visitor to church and all of a sudden someone breaks out and doing something? You're like, oh man, not this Sunday. I'm going to tell you, God is intentionally controversial. I've seen crazy things happen here, okay? I've been here a long time. I've seen some crazy things at Heartland. But I'm telling you, when the presence of God is here, I've, I've, had, I've, I've had people tell me, man, that was... I remember, let, let me give you a story. The, how many of you were here when they carried me around the sanctuary, body surfing? You want to talk about crazy? It's the only time I've ever seen that happen. And I was looking at it from a horizontal angle. I mean, the guys were marching me, and uh, it was the craziest service I've ever been a part of. It was Dan and Nancy Davis's first service ever here. And I I called them thinking, oh man, we lost them right from the beginning. And uh, Nancy later told me they both walked out to the car, silent. They, They didn't say a word to each other. They walked out in the car, got in, sat in there, looked at each other and she looked she said what do you think Danny said I think we found our church (laughs) thank you hey (laughs) why because he felt the spirit of God here although it was crazy he could sense God was on it and I'm not saying we just be goofy for goofy's sake but if that's the price to pay to get there hey I'm in you know God is intentionally controversial. There's this principle in Scripture. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 about the gospel being a stumbling block. to It's foolishness to the Gentiles, or the Greeks, and it's a stumbling block to the Jews. That word stumbling block in the Greek is scandalon. Some of you can probably figure out what English word we get from that. And it, what it means is it's, it, can, it can be referred to a rock that trips you. Like if you purposely put something out to trip someone, you know, you know they're going to be walking through a dark room, so you're kind of a, you're going to, you're a cantankerous one, you know, you're going to put something out there. So that's a scandal on. It's also the little flip on a trap. You ever set a mouse trap? Oh, I hate doing that. That little, that little flip there, that's a scandal on. And we get the word scandal from it. 
And what God did is he said, my gospel is going to be foolishness to the Greeks and a stumbling block. It's going to trap the Jewish people. And that's exactly what happened. You can't get a better illustration of that principle than this one. It says of Joseph, he was pledged, but before he could be married to her, we talked about it last week, that there was this little window of time that God, God used to visit Mary, but he waited till Joseph made public his intentions, but before he could make good on it, and all of a sudden he's, he's the one that's going to kiss his reputation goodbye if he enters into this relationship. And God was very specific. And it says that this is the story of how Jesus was born. And then it talks about Joseph. Why? Because Joseph's role was crucial in the birth of what Mary had conceived. And again, what you conceive can be done between you and God. You just... The, the Lord starts dealing. He gives you a dreams. He gives you visions. But I'm going to tell you, the, the birthing of that dream, that vision, that purpose, that destiny for your life is going to be connected to other people or that thing will die. You, we don't have, in one, one sense, a personal destiny. Our destiny is tied to a larger destiny. And if you don't find your family, if you don't find your, the house you're connected to, like Dan and Nancy, that's our kind of church. If you don't find that, you're jeopardizing what you're carrying. And so he says, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Even in your disagreement, your character is revealed. Even in the things you don't think is God. Your character is revealed by how you deal with those things. And Joseph was concerned about Mary's reputation, even though he had to be heartbroken. We don't know from the text how Joseph found out. What, you know, it was doubtful whether she was showing. I would think Mary would break the news to him before that. And she's wearing, you know, it's, it's not, you know, your, your uh, the, the, the Jewish fashion was not real fashionable. You know, I mean, you could hide a lot under there. And uh, so it was probably that Mary told him, hey, I I was visited by an angel and uh, I'm carrying a child. And can you imagine Joseph looking at her thinking and how heartbroken he must have been. But listen to what the angel says. He said, don't be afraid. He calls him Joseph, son of David, speaks about his his legacy and his purpose in this whole thing because it was crucial that Joseph be of the line of David and Mary be of the line of David. Mary had to be of the line of David so that Jesus could be the rightful heir to David's throne. And Joseph had to be of the line of David because then Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Because then Joseph would have to travel from Nazareth south down to Bethlehem and he would be there when Jesus would be born. And so he says, Joseph, son of David. And then he said, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Why? Because what is conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit. What he was saying is, it seems to me the angel was alluding to the fact that Joseph's concern, his fear, was not for his reputation, but it was her unfaithfulness. He was thinking, man, I can't trust this girl. I can't believe I I betrothed myself to this young woman, and she did this in, in, in that time in human history. It would have been scandalous. 
And so Joseph, but being a good man, he's going to bow out quietly, and he's confronted by an angel in the dream, and, and he tells him, no, don't be afraid, because what she has in her is of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph kisses his reputation goodbye. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. I told you last week that when, when I first became the pastor of Heartland, it was, I, I, think, I, I think it was 2002, was it 2002? 2000? Yeah, and, and, so it was about 2003, it was the Christmas season of 2003, so about a year and a half later, and uh, we were looking at this passage, and the Lord spoke to me very clearly. And I didn't fully understand what he was talking about because I didn't know what God was going to do. I didn't know that the church was going to carry me around, you know, horizontally in a service and all that kind of stuff. All I knew is he told me, he said, Dave, I don't need you to bring life to the church. That's my job. He said, but I need you to be a Joseph. I need you to lend your good name to that which others will think is illegitimate until it's strong enough to walk on its own. That last part always concerned me. I don't know what that means until <laughs> it's strong enough on its own. But see, Joseph, Joseph didn't impart life to Mary, but what he did do is he lent his good name. And so in that analogy, what the Lord was speaking to me on is the role of leadership. That Joseph was like the leader and Mary was like the church and what she needed was a leader to put his good name around her while she gave birth to something because she conceived in private, but her birth was connected to Joseph giving his name to her because otherwise the religious crowd could have stepped in and stoned her for adultery. And so he protected her. And so we need to understand in our personal destiny, in the things that God does in us in private, in the secret place, those words the Lord gives us, those visions that he gives us are not just lived out between us and Jesus. And all down through church history, this has been a problem, but I'm seeing another wave of it in our region over the last two years of people just like, hey, I don't need church. I don't need, I don't need to get connected to a church. I don't need leadership. It's me and Jesus. And they're taking one reality of Scripture, one truth of Scripture, the priesthood of all the believers, that we're all leaders, we're all priests, we all have our own relationship with God, and they're, but they're blowing it up to the negation of other equal truths that God does give leaders in our life. That there are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. There are deacons and elders in the church to lend leadership to the church. And if we... Look at this thing of the priesthood of the believer to the point where we realize, hey, I, there is no mediator between God and man but the man, Jesus Christ. I don't need a, need a go-between. That is true. And, and there, the, the scripture also says, John tells us, we don't need a teacher. We already have an anointing that teaches us. 
Those are, those are valid truths from the Word of God. And there's an application for us, and we need those in our life. And what that does is it, it pulls us out of that error that says, I'm dependent on these guys over here. That I, I, don't, I don't have revelation. That I, I don't, the, God can't speak to me out of his word. I'm dependent on someone that went to Bible school. I've got to come and sit you know, before a man or woman that is credentialed so that they can teach me the word of God. And that's a lie. You've got an anointing within you. You're not dependent. You don't need them. But the fact is God raises them up and he provides them. And these truths have to be kept in tension with one another. And the danger for all of us is that we go to one extreme or the other. And the stream of which we are a part of really emphasizes this element. That we have, a, we have an anointing, every one of us. If you are born again, you have an anointing from God and that anointing can instruct you. That anointing can teach you, John says. And the word he uses there, it's, it's not just like a thin oil. It's literally, it's, it's like axle grease. It's like oil that is so thick you can pick it up and you can slap a wad of it on the table and it doesn't run. It just stands there. That's, that's the idea behind that word he uses for anointing. It's a thick anointing and you've got one. And that anointing will instruct you and lead you and God will speak to you and he'll guide you. And that's true and we need that and you need to cultivate that. And you're not dependent on coming to church to hear from God. God forbid. Matter of fact, what, what I or anybody else says from this pulpit should simply validate and verify what God's been telling you all week. And hopefully there's some being added to it, but hopefully you also have some that I ain't saying up here. And so we have that. But the danger is, is that we get we embrace that truth to the point where we don't think we need a place. And so I'm going to continue with that analogy for a moment. Because that's the analogy the Lord spoke to me all those years ago. That God wants to impregnate his people with his purposes. Both individually and corporately. We're to carry something for this generation. But what Mary conceived, what she carried from intimacy had to be brought into a partnership with leadership or it would not have been born. There's a reason the prophet says, this is, it says, the virgin will conceive and give birth. It's interesting, he says both. She's going to conceive, but she's also going to give birth. Could have very well just said she's going to have a baby. We'd have figured out she did both. But he doesn't. He separates those two. Why? Because Luke focuses on the conception that happens in that private time. But if you're to see what God puts in you come to fruition, then you've got to connect it with some other people. You've got to find leaders. You've got to get under people. And you've got to find your place in the house. And so it says of Joseph, the, the, the angel of the Lord said, don't be afraid to bring her home as your wife. And so it says he brought her home. And so here's the word of the Lord for us. What you carry from your secret place, you've got, it's got to manifest in the house. You have got to find your home. You have got to find the people you're supposed to run with. Dan and Nancy Davis are a perfect example. When Dan was here, he said, this is the kind of church we've been looking for. They've been here ever since because they were hungry for what they saw here. 
But Heartland's not for everyone. There's a lot of good churches in the region. We've talked about it before. It's important that we find our tribe because your tribe is connected to your destiny. Because your personal destiny is connected to a corporate destiny. And what you receive in secret has to manifest in a house or it will die. And so she will conceive and she will give birth. The conception was between Mary and the Holy Spirit. But Matthew very specifically says, this is how the thing came to birth. Joseph stepped in. And we have got to partner with leaders. God will put people into our lives. I was talking to a young man this week that has been mentored by a, one of his heroes. And uh, I, I don't think I'm going to violate anything, Fred. I hope I don't. But uh, there's a young man that's been reading Fred's books. And he reached out to Fred. And guy flew all the way to Iowa just to be mentored by Fred. And Fred took out time in his life. And this guy is just blown away. I can't believe I'm standing here with Fred. He said, I'm not, a, I'm not into hero worship, but I can't believe this guy's pouring into me. Because he's been so rocked by Fred's books, and Fred's willing to take time out of his life to pour into this guy for a couple days. And I told him, I said, man, that is a valuable thing. you got a lot of teachers in the world. Scripture's clear. You have many teachers, but you have not many fathers. And there's a lot of people that'll, you know, they'll encourage you to read their books, encourage you to buy them. <laughs> but there's not a lot of guys that after you read the book will come and share their life with you. That's a father. That's someone that's imparting of themselves. And we all need that. You've got to find, it's not just finding a place to attend church. It's finding your home, your family. Who are the group of people that you're to run with? And until we break into that as an individual and find that, then our destiny is going to languish. At best, you're going to be, it's going to be an anemic expression. Our destiny is manifest on a wider platform of a corporate expression. We've got to find those people. It struck me as I was thinking about this this week that after they had, Joseph had taken her, taken her home as his wife, he provided a place for her, a place where she could begin to be safe and she could begin to uh, walk through this process of, of this little baby that is this strange mystery she's carrying. And then they get word from the, the emperor that they have to go to their hometown because there's going to be a counting of the populace of Rome. Let's, let's turn to Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quinarius was governor of Syria. And everyone went, on their own, went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. It was about 65 miles. And he's got a, he, he's got a woman that is great with child. She's, she's ready to give birth, and they're going to they're gonna walk. And I'll tell you, if, if there's anything that's going to cause a lady to get, <laughs> go into premature labor, it's trying to walk 64 miles. And so he's taking her on this journey, and it says they go to Bethlehem. And it was crucial that they go to Bethlehem because there was this little verse in Micah, chapter 5, I believe it is, verse 2, that said that God's going to raise up a ruler 
in the city of Bethlehem. Now, he, God already had, it was, the, it was David. But now he's going to raise up another ruler again in the city of David. Someone's going to be born. And so they go there, and it says that, So Joseph went down to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to a town, the Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no place for him in the inn. And so... Joseph took her on this this journey that was essential. It was part of her prophetic destiny. What she was carrying had prophetic words over it. But she needed someone to accompany her. And so Joseph was that person. And here's the principle. When we are carrying something in private from God, what we need to do is we need to find a Joseph. Every Mary needs a Joseph. Now there's a sense in which every one of us is a Mary. Every one of us is a Joseph. Every one of us is a Zachariah. Every one of us is Elizabeth. But what we need to see this morning is that as Marys in secret with God, when God begins to place dreams within us, that what we need to do is we need to find our Joseph. We need to find those people. And if we've got to fly across the country to hang out with that person and be discipled for a while, then we need to do it. But we need to find those people who will provide a home for us. We need to find those people who are going to take us on those journeys to fulfill the prophecies over what we carry. And that's exactly what happened with Mary. What what she was carrying was fulfilled. There's all kinds of prophecies throughout this story. But one of the crucial ones is she was, Jesus was raised in Nazareth. That's why they would say, can anything good come from Nazareth? But he was born 64 miles to the south in Bethlehem. It was crucial that he be born there. And because of her connection with Joseph, she ended up there at right at the right time to give birth to what God had put within her. And so we need to realize that what God puts in us is only going to be manifest if we're running with the right people. I'm telling you, there are a lot of people with tremendous callings on their life. I meet them all the time. There are people throughout this region, wounded prophets, devastated evangelists, tremendous touch of God on their life, but they're not connected with anybody. And matter of fact, they can give you a good sermon on why they don't need to be connected to anybody. And I'm not insinuating they need to be connected here. I'm just insinuating they need to be connected somewhere to a group of people and to good leaders who can create an environment. The, the purpose of leadership in the kingdom is not to impart life. That's God's purpose. But our purpose is to create an environment in which what God puts within us can grow and come to fruition so we can fulfill our purposes. And you'll never fulfill your purpose until you run with that group of people you're supposed to run with. And you think, well, pastor, what are you telling us this for? We're here. We're already in church. But are you connected? Are you you running with the group of people? Relationships are crucial. I told the young man that Fred introduced me to, 
That, man, there's been key relationships in my life where those people have pulled things out of me. I I found it interesting. The angel said to Joseph, it falls to you to name the child. He told Mary, you're going to call him Jesus. But he didn't say name him Jesus. He told Joseph, name him Jesus. Another passage says an angel named him. An angel named him Jesus, but he was the one that told Joseph, you are to give him his name. As a father, as a leader, you're going to bestow identity on on what Mary's carrying. And we need those people in our life. Do you have relationships with people that can speak into your life and call things out? That will believe in you before you believe in yourself? That will name what's in you in embryonic stages? Do you have those people in your life that are going to protect it? And when other people don't believe what you're carrying, they're going to lend their name to it. And they're going to, they're going to give you safety. They're going to provide a house for you. And they're going to take you on journeys. I mean, that was a long... I would have thought Joseph would have left her home and just said, I got a wife back there, but she's ready to give birth. But he didn't. He took her on a long journey and it fulfilled the prophetic, the, the prophecies of her baby. And she would have never been there had she not hooked up with Joseph. There are journeys that you will go on, places that God wants to take you. You never get without being connected to the right people. And I'm not talking about a pastor. I'm talking about leaders in the body of Christ. I look around this room. Catherine just had to step out. But Catherine, I I know many people that Catherine speaks into. She is a mother in the faith, not just in this church, across this region. We have another pastor that lives in our neighborhood. I'll drive by and there's Catherine's car sitting in front of another pastor's house. And I know what she's doing. She's in there just stoking her fire and encouraging her and telling her that, man, I believe in you because she's a mother in the faith. Do you have those people in your life? Do you have people in your life you're bouncing things off of and that you can go to for counsel? I guarantee you, you have them The question is, are you utilizing them? Because it's one thing to conceive a promise. It's another thing to give birth to it. It's a whole other thing to raise it, by the way. But that's for another day. But it's one thing to have all these prophetic words spoken over you. It's a whole other thing to begin to see those manifest in your life. And to begin to walk out your destiny. Walk out your calling. And that demands you be connected to people, that you stay in relationship. And here's the thing. Often, in our, the hardest times of our life, it's that, those are the times we want to unplug from that. That's why Pastor Jonathan and Tara, we were talking this week, and we've just been praying about this for the last several weeks, and, and uh, Jonathan just shared with me, he said, we're going to take a couple weeks away. Their whole family serves together. He said, we're going to take a couple weeks away. And then he says, if it's okay, we're going to come back and plug into Heartland. I said, okay, you're family. This is your house. And when you're burnt out, that's the time you want to withdraw the most. But he understands, hey, we're going to take a couple weeks, get some break, and then we're going to be back. We're going to, we're going to serve in the house. We're going to still function as, in a leadership role to the capacity that they can right now. Still functioning as elders. So we're going to make place for that. And we need to, as a home, we come around them during those times where when they're weak, we're strong and we carry them. And, and that's what a family's for. I'll never forget when our little boy passed away some 22 years ago now, it was about nine months 
that I just was kind of a shell. I didn't realize to the extent that I was. And one day I was sitting in staff meeting at Team Challenge. And the Lord spoke to me very clearly. He said, it's time to pick up your burden again. And I thought about it and I, I realized I hadn't been carrying my load. I looked around the room and there was all the other staff and they had carried me and never said a word. But I needed those people to come around. And that's what, that's what family's for, that we pick up the load and carry one another. And if you don't have a family, a lot of people, what they've conceived when it's challenged, they fall out because they've never found their home. They're, they're, they're people. They, and you can, you can attend your home but not be plugged in. So we need to be plugged in, relationship, and, and living with one another. Those, those, those support systems, people that we're bouncing things off of. You have something I need, I have something you need. And nobody has all of it. That's why you have an anointing. You're not dependent on teachers, but God provides them. Why? Because there's things that they're going to carry that you don't. And together, we're the body of Christ. So I want to encourage you this morning. God wants to give you things in the secret place, but where they're going to manifest and grow and really come to fruition is with a company of people. Those relationships. And every one of us need those relationships. The people that we bounce things off, the people that we, when we're struggling, we call them. Those, that's your support group. That's the, that's the people you're really running with. Not the people you're just sitting next to in church. But are you really reaching out and you're availing yourself to what the body of Christ is meant to be? Because when the, health, when the body's healthy, your, your destiny, you are a member of the body, but in order to function properly, you gotta be connected. And when you're connected, then you can function. And sometimes the, the rest of the body has to take the weight off for a season. It's how God created the body to be. It says that when one hurts, the rest carry the load. So we have those opportunities. Some of you this morning, you're the person that needs to be carried. Avail yourself to that. And some of you, you need to begin to pick up the load and let's have eyes to see for those around us. Every Mary needs a Joseph. You get it in secret, but it's going to manifest in relationship. There's no such thing as a completely personal destiny. Amen? Let's stand. You've been listening to a presentation from Heartland Church in Ankeny, Iowa. For more information about our ministry and its available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Thanks for listening.